Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shiv Uglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm privileged to be joined by Dan Rosenswag, who's the CEO and president of Chegg.com. You've probably heard of Chegg uh, or know somebody who actively uses it because they're a leading digital learning platform that's affected over 6 million students uh, from every campus in the U.S. and increasingly internationally. Students go to Chegg to get assistance with everything from college admissions to help with their homework. And uh, I don't think I've met a single Osmosis user who hasn't used Chegg in the past. So before Chegg, Dan was the CEO of Guitar Hero and the COO of Yahoo. And we were actually introduced uh, by one of the Osmosis advisors and investors, Greg Coleman, who worked with Dan at Yahoo. So thanks so much for being with us today, Dan. Well, it's my pleasure, Shiv. And I'm really impressed by all the things that you're doing and particularly your audience right now, who's finally being recognized for really how selfless and how brave they are. So uh, it's an honor to be speaking with as many of them as are listening. Thanks so much, Dan. That means a lot. And we'll definitely go into uh, kind of the shared audience, audiences that we reach. So the first thing is, you know, you have a super impressive background in business. And I remember reading the book, Trillion Dollar Coach, and seeing uh, your name come up a, a bunch with uh, being mentored by Bill Campbell. I'd love to hear more about your background and your own wor words and how you decided to devote the last decade to Chegg. Well, my background is a lot more impressive on paper than it is in real life, because if you actually think about it, I graduated um, Hobart William Smith, and my first job was going to be selling word processors door to door uh, through a company called Pick Me Bo's Dictaphone. And on my first day of work, I got laid off because they went out of the word processing business. So I went back to the, another company that offered me a job called Ziff Davis, and I was originally supposed to sell classified advertising for all these cool magazines. For those of you who don't know what magazines are, there were these things made of print, they were sold on newsstands. So I called them, they, they asked me to come in and, uh, and said they'd love to have me, and I came in two weeks later, and every one of them had switched jobs out of the consumer magazine business into a new category called computer magazines. They had just bought a magazine called PC Magazine and they owned something called the Creative Computer. And I ended up, instead of selling advertising for classified advertising for cool consumer magazines, I ended up being a telemarketer in the circulation department of this brand new category called computer magazines. And the rest is history. I spent uh, my career at Ziff Davis starting at the bottom as a telemarketer eventually becoming a publisher of PC Magazine and then becoming the CEO of ZDNet, taking ZDNet public, selling it or merging it with CNET uh, back in 2001 to the great Shelby Bonney, and then um, got recruited to take over as the COO of Yahoo when they had collapsed in 2001, 2002. And that's where I met Greg Coleman, who is the best in the world at what he's done, as you know. We worked together at Yahoo and turned Yahoo around from with an incredible team of people that went on to do great things like Jeff Weiner, who went on to become CEO of LinkedIn, or Rob Solomon, who uh, was running GoFundMe. Um, there's just a plethora of former Yahoo's doing great things. And I retired, went into private equity for like an hour. Um, the day I started, Lehman Brothers collapsed. So that deal didn't work out. Now, I was originally going to run a growth fund in private equity and bought great deals to the table. So we brought LinkedIn for a billion dollars and Facebook for 10 billion and Zynga for 150 million. They turned them all down and then got called by an old Yahoo board member, Bobby Kotick, 
who said, look, if you don't have to move, will you become the CEO of Guitar Hero and run it for us? And I love Bobby and I love music and it was a lot of fun. Um, and I got a chance to introduce my daughters to Taylor Swift and Eminem and Jay-Z. So accomplished all my goals in a year, got recruited to do Chegg and the rest is, you know, something you can read about. That's incredible. That's <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a super simple straight line A to B, right? Well, you know, what you learn in life is that uh, life is serendipity. Most of the mistakes, and I've made a ton of them in my career, have been not being open to say yes to opportunities. I've found excuses to say no. And the truth is, when an opportunity presents itself, even if you don't think you're ready for it, you should take it because it's the only way you grow. And I remember when I was offered the COO job of Yahoo, uh, Terry Semmel, uh, who was spectacular CEO, said, do you want to be an 80-year-old man in Scarsdale, where I was living, saying what if, or do you want to be a 40-year-old who says, hey, Semmel, here's how we change the world. Which guy are you? And that was sort of a game changer for me in my thinking. And uh, so I moved my family, or with my family, I should say, two young daughters, nine and seven, a wife who did not want to move. Uh, but the lesson is you got to be open to saying yes and taking risks because otherwise life's boring. Definitely, I can relate to some of that, of what we've done here at Osmosis and in terms of scaring my parents and deciding to quit med school and, and build this company. So speaking of so the turnaround you mentioned at Yahoo, you joined Chegg when it was a very different company and, and within a decade have turned into a $7 billion publicly traded company. Um, I know when you first- uh, Eight billion, but who's counting? Oh, right. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> I just knocked off a billion there. But when you, you know, you're credited as obviously doing the turnaround, going from just a textbook rental business to a, kind of a Netflix of education, we'd love to hear a bit more about how you've positioned it and how you put students first at Chegg. Well, look, it was not an easy journey. It's been 10 years, but it feels like 10,000 years. And the first uh, five or six years were extraordinarily painful, which is I was told we were six months away from doing an IPO, and it turned out we were 90 days away from going bankrupt. So your mindset changes, and you're talking about the trillion-dollar coach and the amazing, remarkable Bill Campbell. There'd be no Chegg if there were not Bill Campbell, just so everybody's clear. Um, and Bill said, look, when you know you've been screwed, you have two choices, quit or shut the F up, as Bill was known to say, and fix it. So that's what we did. I hired an extraordinary team, almost all of who are still with me today. Um, so talk about good fortune. But at the time, we rented textbooks. The bigger we got, the broker we got, because the business model actually didn't work. We raised $100 million to save the company and to buy a digital asset called Cramster, which has now become the core of the company, or Chegg Study, or what you're trying to build with Osmosis is modeled after those kinds of learning environments online, which they were the first, and we acquired it. And um, you know, it was a nine-year-old company that had reached six million dollars in revenue and was break-even. It wasn't going anywhere, and now it's a multi-hundred-million-dollar business with ninety percent gross margins. So that's what we do well. We take extraordinarily great ideas and we accelerate their growth. But honestly, Shiv, it was only three and a quarter years ago that our company was valued at three dollars and fifteen cents. And Amazon, you know, we went public, Amazon entered the market, tried to crush us, we survived that. And then as we were transferring to all digital, you know, our revenues had to go down. The business model has to change. It goes down before it goes back up again. And people just didn't believe us. And it was devastating. We lost 38% of our value in one day. And you start to, you know, think differently about your future. 
Um, but we stuck with it. We stuck with it as a team. And now three and a quarter years later, instead of being $3.15, we're $65 a share. And so our employees have benefited, our shareholders have benefited. Most importantly, the students have benefited because we didn't give up. Um, and now, as you mentioned, we serve over 6 million students in some capacity and increasingly global. And so weirdly enough, we're not at the end of the journey, we're at the beginning of the journey. Yeah, no, it's an incredibly impressive story. And I think there's no such thing as an overnight success, right? It took a, a decade, but uh, now that we're in the midst of this pandemic, I know that's contributed to a lot of subscriber growth. And I would love to you know, get your thoughts on how COVID-19 has affected Chegg specifically in terms of your growth. And also after we come out of this, what are some of the things you're thinking will stay the same versus things that will change from the student perspective as well as the university perspective? So look, I, I think you know, you're, you're one of the smarter people in this space and you know a lot about it, probably as much, maybe more than I do in, in certain categories. And so I think you should chime in. Based on what we've seen since March 15th, which of these behaviors is permanent? Which of them uh, are gonna revert back to their old way? We built our business with the assumption that more people were gonna have to learn more things over a longer arc of their life and career. Um, and they were going to do so online rather than in person. And it was going to have to be less expensive. It was going to have to be on demand. It was going to have to be personalized to your specific journey. And it was going to have to adapt to your particular learning style. And so what we built, which is step-by-step -step solutions, expert Q&A, live help for as little as 50 cents a minute uh, with category experts, we have over 40 million questions asked and answered in our database. Uh, we have 50,000 videos. So what we've, what we've done from the beginning is assume that what we're experiencing now was the inevitable. So we bet on the inevitable. What we think COVID has done is accelerated by three to five years some of the inevitable things, and not just in education. So for example, in banking and in small business, you know, you look at FinTech, FinTech has absolutely exploded because all the small businesses that used to just walk to their local branch can't do it anymore. So they now have to do all their banking online. They're not going to go back. They may walk to the local branch, but they're not going to stop using online. So we think in the United States, we had already changed the behavior. We think outside the United States, COVID really has accelerated it to a place that is multiple years ahead of where we expected it to be. And, you know, we, we were growing faster in Q1 than we had been growing in Q4, which for a company our age is difficult to do. Then COVID came along and it accelerated the growth. And then we came out with our earnings forecast for the second quarter. And as a public company, instead of saying we were going to grow at 35%, we said we were growing at at least 45%. A lot of it has to do with the acceleration of what we think has been the inevitable. I think schools, as you know, will do everything in their power to reopen as early as they can, not because it's in the best interest of the student necessarily, but because it's in the best interest of their economics. And if they don't get money for room and board, and if they don't get money for tuition, and if they don't get international travelers, which they're not going to, at least in the fall, then 25 or 30% of the, of the colleges are at substantial financial risk. They were at risk before. So the difficulty here is they're going to act like it's a recession, which is they're going to make all the mistakes of raising the prices and demanding things from the customer the customer doesn't want to do. And it's not going to work well. 
And you're already seeing lawsuits now where people are saying, well, if you're going to teach me online, why am I paying for the full experience? And why can't teachers teach more, right? If you're going to bring me to campus and you're going to consolidate the time and, and end the semester in November, you better be teaching more classes. So it's going to be very interesting. It's not going to go smoothly. Chegg is agnostic. We benefit as long as people need help learning, same as you. Yeah, no, very, very much so. And we've, we've found some really interesting dynamics too, where it's compounded by the fact that some of health education has to be done in person. You have to yes. be able to see a patient. And a lot of the facilities that would host students are not hosting students anymore because, you know, COVID uh, considerations there. If they can't even bring people in for orthopedic surgeries, they aren't bringing in students to learn. A lot more virtualization. Although, as you know, there is virtual reality, which can simulate the experience. And you already know that doctors are already doing virtual operations, right? Which is they're in a distant location and someone else is doing the execution for them following the doctor. So, you know, technology cannot replace everything, should not replace everything. I hope it doesn't replace everything. But probably 90% of the things that you would need to learn you can learn, and the last 10%, which may be the most important 10% in your world, um, can be done at a later date. Yeah, no, 100%. Those are some things we're, we're definitely looking at. And, you know, one thing I've always been impressed with, with you and Chegg in particular is the stand you've taken on how do we get students uh, not only learning things, but then finding them meaningful jobs that then can, you know, pay off their student debt, or, or you've even tackled the student debt issue directly. How do you think COVID-19 has, you know, kind of accelerated or, or exacerbated the student debt problem? Um, and also, side note, for our audience, uh, if they don't know, you all just recently won a, a Webby Award, a People's Choice Webby Award for the, the series you and Ashton Kutcher produced on, on student debt. So if you can even comment on that, that would be great. Yeah, it was called Going for Broke. It was on Crackle. And, you know, much to my surprise, we had over 5 million or approximately 5 million viewers and over 15 or nearly 15 million views. I think it was the largest or the biggest success in Crackle's history at the time. Uh, it was put on Crackle because Chicken Soup for the Soul made it and they own 50% of Crackle, but also it seemed appropriate to put a show about student debt on a free site. Uh, and they're the largest free site. And it did extraordinarily well. And we did win uh, a Webby Award and we feel fortunate, but it's the subject matter that matters the most, which is so let's break it into two things, which is what does this do to the student debt issue and what has Chegg been doing about student debt? So for those people who don't spend a lot of time on this, you know, a lot of kids that go to med school are the kids that go to the four-year colleges and actually graduate in four years. So that's about 20% of the college population. Truth is 70 to 80% go to schools where there are state schools or there are community colleges, which are also state schools. The average age of a college kid in this country is 25, not 20. The average age of an online learner is 30. It's a woman who already has children and a job. 26% uh, of all college students already have children and 40% of them are working 30 hours a week or more. So we've been bankrupting hardworking young people for ages. It's almost like a Ponzi scheme, which is the colleges raise their price the government lends them more. The government doesn't let you declare bankruptcy on it. The government doesn't let you refinance it and you still have to pay it. So it's been crazy. There's 44 million Americans with $1.6 trillion in debt. In the next 10 years, going at the same pace, student debt will be larger than credit card debt and mortgage debt together. 
which means almost every single American who we're supposed to be helping with education is being saddled with significant debt. Anybody going to med school probably understands that. And the argument is, well, the people who make the most money are the wealthy, they own the largest piece of debt. Well, that's, first of all, that's mathematical baloney, which is that means that those people who earn the least may have less debt, but the debt is a bigger percentage of their, of their expense than the wealthy people. That's why 40% of people are already technically delinquent in paying back their student debt. So that was before COVID. So now you know what's gonna happen. Unfortunately, the government did very little. The two things they did, one of them in the first CARES Act, one of them was they delayed the paying for two months, helpful, without interest, but didn't solve the problem of the fact that they're out of work and how they're gonna pay it back ever. And then you start accruing interest again. The second thing they did, which Chegg lobbied for and helped really get into the CARES Act, was um, letting companies actually help pay for student debt. Here's a weird thing. If you're an employee and you wanna do continuing education, your company can offer that as a non-taxable benefit. You can get up to $5,250 a year towards education and you don't have to pay tax on it. If we do the same thing to paying off the education you already got, you get taxed on it. Ridiculous. So Chegg has argued, others have argued, make it not taxable. Well, at least through the end of 20, companies can do that now and not being taxable. That matters a lot to Chegg because Chegg decided over two years ago to do something called equity for education, which is we decided to contribute uh, parts of our equity to paying off all of our employees' student debt. And that's when we learned it was taxable to the employees. Like, wait a minute, we're paying $5,000 a year and you're taxing them $2,000? Like, how does that help reduce the debt? So at least for the end of this year, so we accelerated anybody who wasn't eligible yet in 20 to 20 so that we could pay it off and they could get more benefit from it. Um, and our argument has been, let companies pay off student debt so that as part of your employment, it's a tax benefit to the company and a tax benefit to the student. You wanna talk about the greatest stimulus in the world, give young people money to be able to get apartments, get married, have children, buy cars, right? Get groceries. So yeah, it's, it's a giant issue. Uh, and coming out of COVID, uh, there won't be any money left to fix it. Yeah, no, I mean, I've been following, following that journey. And, uh, you know, right now we're all talking about the debt crunch that's happening in the mortgage industry, but soon enough, it'll be in the, in the student loan industry, especially because so many students have gotten jobs that are not, you know, not doing the things like Chegg is doing, but also they they aren't long-term jobs. They're gig economy type jobs. Well, 40% of students uh, report that they're underemployed. So if you've got, we had, lower unemployment, but now it's probably back over to 12%. So you've got people who are furloughed, people who were laid off, and then these recent grads, where are they gonna go? We already know what happened with internships. Most internships got canceled. Some were done digitally. We've done ours remotely because we feel it's critically important, but most companies didn't do that because they didn't have the money to do it, and it's not easy to do remotely. Um, so this is a devastating time for young people. So the employment issue is critical, and one of the reasons that we bought Thinkful is because Thinkful was committed to having online only, low cost, great curriculum, and tremendous support to teach people 
technical job skills, regardless of what education they got. So it's not coding camp. It's a career accelerator, which is if you want to go into data mining or you want to go into digital marketing, they will teach you. And one of the reasons we acquired them was we love the model and we love the direction. But our vision was we could lower the cost, offer scholarships, double the curriculum, and make it more accessible to a much larger number of people. And that's exactly what we're going to do because we're able to plug in our expert Q&A and our, and our chat-based tutoring, which lowers the cost of support and increases its value and its on-demand nature. So we can actually afford to lower the price substantially. And you're going to see that. We believe that all of these schools need to be lower price, on-demand, online, and offer real academic support. And that's what we plan to do. Yeah, we're we're 100% aligned on that, and obviously, we're we've been tackling a, a similar issue, but in the healthcare space. And I'm curious. It will actually backing up real quick. The reason we call this podcast uh, "Raise the Line" is because you know everyone knows what the term "flatten the curve" is, right? It's why we're all socially distanced, trying not to overwhelm the healthcare system. But the other way, part of the equation is to increase the capacity of the healthcare system or what we say raise the line. And that's when osmosis's mission from the beginning is how do we get more people into meaningful careers in healthcare so that they are part of the solution uh, and we give them meaningful employment as well. And how do you get the country and the government to appreciate the fact of how important the healthcare system is? I mean, there are things that most of us just didn't know because we didn't pay attention to. I didn't know there were 900,000 beds in the whole country. That's nothing for a country of 320 million people, right? I didn't understand the economics that uh, hospitals go bankrupt in the emergency room and make all their money in elective surgery, right? And all the steps you need to go through, all the costs you have to go through just to be okay by a doctor who already knew you needed the help. Like these are things that are being exposed. And my favorite thing is telemedicine or the laws where, you know, against being able to do telemedicine, who doesn't want to do it now? Who doesn't want to talk to a qualified doctor? I don't want to have to take time off from work, go outside, go into a place where people are sick, take half a day to do a 30-minute appointment that everybody's going to be late for anyway. So I think COVID is going to change um, medicine and education in ways, and fintech in ways that people just didn't appreciate really what how screwed up the system was. I know we're coming up on time. I'm respectful because you're, you're obviously super busy, but... Given that you and Chegg put students first, I think one last thing I'd like to ask is any advice that you have for a current student thinking about where they should, how they should be thinking about this new depression coming their way, what jobs they should be thinking about, or, or just any advice in general you're looking to give them? Yeah, look, um, this is hard. No, we've never experienced this as a country. We've had recessions. Um, we've had a financial crisis. We've never had a medical crisis that's leading to a financial crisis. We've never had 40 million people go from employed to furloughed or unemployed in 100 days. So I speak more as a parent than I do as a CEO because I have two daughters and obviously their lives are not going to be at risk as much as other people um, who don't have the benefits and the privilege that we've, you know, we've gotten over the course of our life. Uh, and we have to be respectful of that. Um, but what I've said is you got to have a good attitude. You got to you got to be willing to take an opportunity when you see it. You got to be willing to do what it takes to be considered invaluable in whatever that opportunity is. And that whatever your next job is, isn't your last job, isn't determinant of your entire career. Right. But what is, is attitude and effort and willingness for somebody to validate you by employing you and learning what it's like to have a boss. Some of them are 
great, some of them suck, right? Learning how to navigate all that will benefit you. And you may not love everything you do, but as long as it doesn't go against your values, there's nothing wrong with earning a living and then keeping your eyes open for the things that you think will be more beneficial in the long term for you. But in a world like today, you've got to take the opportunities that present themselves because they'll lead to doors that open that you could never would have imagined. As a guy that was going to sell word processors door to door, to have now taken two internet companies public, right? To have had a chance to run Guitar Hero or Yahoo. I didn't go to business school. I'm not a founder. I'm not an engineer. Um, you know, my career is shockingly successful in that nobody would have expected, including me. Uh, and my team and I always joke around being brilliant by accident, which is we make decisions with the information we have at the moment. We try to make them successful and some of them work out in ways that we never would have imagined. So if you're a young person, don't be too picky right now. Try to get into a company or an individual at a company that you believe cares about you and your future. And when you get in there, do whatever it takes to be valuable. Learn all the elements because they're going to be valuable to you in some other job that you just can't even picture right now. And in the healthcare industry, you know, thank you for anybody willing to go into that industry. Look, I think, I think there's an opportunity for that industry to accelerate in dramatic ways because of distance med, uh, medicine and, and online and online advice and learning. And you look at the way um, pharmaceuticals are being created and where they're going to be distributed and you might not have to go to a pharmacy. And, you know, it's a great field to go into because it's going to be a growth field. And it's in its first recession ever right now, but we know that one's temporary. So, you know, don't get down. We, we appreciate this is time for high anxiety, high depression. In fact, Chegg just funded free help for all students because we see the rise in anxiety and stress and depression. And, and, um, and so we know that it's real, but don't let it get you. Put it in its, acknowledge that it's there. Put it in its proper place. Don't let it own you. You can't always get rid of it, but you can recognize it for what it is and just keep going. I feel like as you were saying all that advice, um, it, it brought me back to the Trillion Dollar Coach book. Uh, I feel like Bill Campbell would be very proud of some of that advice you just, just provided uh, all of our listeners too. Well, I miss him every day. And I will tell you that three years after our IPO, when we finally got over the IPO price, we went and we celebrated at Bill's um, gravesite because he's with us every day. And he would say, congratulations, now shut the F up and keep going. <laughs> and those, so thank those, you, Shiv, for having me. I appreciate it. It's great to see you again. And congratulations on your amazing success because you have one of the most um, incredible, valuable learning products that we've seen. And we're a little bit envious, just so you know. Likewise. No, thanks so much, Dan. Uh, and with that, I'm Shivulani. Thanks to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.